and welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things, a podcast where we talk about a few things to be grateful for and the history and stories behind them. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get going. In junior high and high school, it sometimes felt that one of the best ways to make a new friend or to start up a conversation was to have a piece of gum on you. Someone would always ask for gum. Uh, I wasn't much of a gum chewer myself, so I didn't really have a lot on me, but it did make me curious as to why. Why we nod on gum through our adolescence. These days, I do have gum on me, more out of necessity, as a means to take care of colorful breath after onion and garlic-filled meals when vampire hunting, of course. Whether it be a means to strike up a conversation or a means to keep conversation pleasant by taking care of foul breath, there are many reasons to be grateful for gum. So, that's what we're going to take some time for today, the magical and surprisingly long history of chewing gum. Across various civilizations, evidence of chewing gum seems to have sprung up across the globe independent of each other. Even in the beginning, it seems like chewing gum started out as a desire to, well, simply chew on something, clean our teeth, freshen our breath, or just have something to do, not necessarily always looking for nutrition. Chewing gum looks to have been around since even the Neolithic period, about 12,000 years ago. In Finland, we found examples of chewing gum dating back around 5,000 years ago made of birch bark tar. It even still had teeth prints in it. These gums are believed to have been medically helpful with antiseptic properties. Ancient Mayans and Aztecs took gum even further, using a natural tree gum called chicle to even stick things together. The ancient Greeks used mastic gum from the mastic tree for chewing as well. This gum also had antiseptic properties and helped medically with oral health. Mastic and chicle are both made of tree resins, while other cultures and countries around the world used additional ingredients like grasses, plants, and resins. When it comes to something to chew, just generally, ancient peoples used a variety of things. Ancient China used ginseng roots, Eskimos used blubber, colonial settlers of the United States used tobacco leaves, peoples in South Africa also used cacao leaves, and peoples in West African tropical areas used kola nuts, and peoples in South Asia and India used the beetle nuts. So we have evidence of something to chew on, or a type of chewing gum, from all over the world, pretty independent of each other. But when it comes to the more modern chewing gum that we're more familiar with today, much of that innovation happened in one place, the United States. It was the Native Americans who really got it going. Native Americans had the practice of chewing on a resin that came from spruce tree sap. The colonists picked up this habit and eventually, in 1848, a man by the name of John B. Curtis decided to package and sell the practice, labeling it the State of Maine Pure Spruce Gum. This gum only held its reign as the first commercially produced gum for about two years, as in 1850 it was overtaken in popularity by a new gum made with paraffin wax. The first patented gum, however, belongs to William Semple, who filed his patent on December 28, 1869. Early gum wasn't really sweet, initially, so to make gum sweeter, chewers would regularly dip their gum in powdered sugar. We didn't get flavored gums until the 1860s, with the first flavored gum in the United States being created by a Kentucky pharmacist by the name of John Colgan. His gum contained powdered sugar and a flavor called tolu which was an extract of balsam originally from Peru. He named his creation Taffy Tolu, 
Colgan didn't stop there, however. It seems like once he got started with chewing gum, it just stuck. I know, a terrible pun, but I had to have at least one in here. He was also the first to manufacture chicle gum. Chicle comes from Mesoamerican trees, and the word itself dates back to ancient Mayan, meaning sticky stuff. It is also where we got the name for chiclets gum, if you remember that brand. Colgan went on to patent several more processes for automatically cutting and wrapping gum pieces. The modern style of gum we may be familiar with got going in the 1860s with the former president of Mexico, General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, brought chicle to New York. The chicle was given to Thomas Adams to be used as a substitute for rubber. The chicle was not successful in its original purpose, that of being used for rubber, but it did become successful as gum. Adams launched the popular Adams New York Chewing Gum in 1871. The popular flavors around this time were a flavor called blackjack, which was a licorice flavor invented in 1888. There was also Wrigley's Spearmint Gum and Chiclets, which came about in 1899. Thomas Adams founded the American Chickle Company, which produced Chiclets. It was actually due to World War II that this gum spread around the world. During the war, American soldiers would trade their rationed gum with the locals. After a while, chicle just wasn't cutting our chewing gum needs, which led to the development of a synthetic gum and its eventual replacement of chicle. In the 1960s, the United States switched to cheaper materials for producing gum, like butadiene-based synthetic rubber. By the 21st century, however, chewing gum purchasing had significantly declined. Some blamed cell phones for distracting us from impulse buying at the checkout at the register, Others saw a decline in the culture of teenage rebellion, as chewing gum had been associated with counterculture for some time. Although the process of making gum is a protected trade secret for each company, there are some basic processes to making gum. We start first with the base gum, which is melted and then either strained or filtered. Next, we add some sweeteners and flavoring, either nutritious or non-nutritious. This is mixed in until the gum has a consistency almost like dough. It is heated again to distribute more evenly all the ingredients and then goes through what is called an extrusion process, which essentially shapes the gum pieces. Then we cut the gum. This will look different depending on the product and what it looks like, either cubes, balls, sticks, tape, etc. And lastly, the gum is coated before packaging, usually with some type of poly. Growing up, I'd heard it both ways, that gum was good for you and bad for you, great for your teeth and oral hygiene or absolutely terrible for it. So which was it? According to the American Dental Association, quote, chewing sugarless gum has been shown to increase the flow of saliva, thereby reducing plaque acid, strengthening the teeth, and reducing tooth decay, close quote. So there we have it. There have also been some studies to suggest that chewing gum is good for brain function, but these studies can't fully like pinpoint the exact reason or even fully confirm the efficacy of their findings. Chewing gum could help with memory, but these results were only found when people were chewing gum directly before a test. So again, not totally solid findings there. Outside of our mouths, chewing gum has found other uses some places. There are, of course, a few famous chewing gum walls around the world, with one place being in Seattle under Pike's Place Market. This wall got started initially next to a comedy club. The gum had pennies pressed into it at the beginning, but later the pennies were taken out. It's called the Market Theater Gum Wall, and it became a tourist attraction in 1999. I don't know about you, but I kind of wonder if all the gum makes that wall smell minty fresh like all the time. In 2015, the wall was cleaned for the first time in order to prevent further erosion of the bricks beneath. There were some protests, and the removal cost around $4,000 and removed over 2,350 pounds, or 1,070 kilos, of gum. 
The wall is about 50 feet long and 20 feet high. As soon as the cleaning was finished, however, people immediately began sticking gum back on the wall. The gum wall is considered participatory art, as everyone adds to it. Some people make patterns in the gum, and others just stick it on. While Seattle may lay claim to the most famous gum wall, there are other gum walls in the United States, in California, and Ohio. Another interesting reclaiming, if you will, of chewing gum was one that I found in London. Chewing gum spat out onto the ground is an uncomely sight and is a pain to remove. In a city even more so, I imagine. In fact, chewing gum once stepped on and dried or hardened is very difficult to remove from the ground because the gum holds onto it so tightly. And many cities struggle with this problem. In fact, back in 2000, a study revealed that Oxford Street in London had a quarter of a million pieces of gum stuck to the ground. I don't think I ever even realized that the black smudges on the pavement were once chewing gum. One man, however, took it upon himself to make masterpieces of discarded gum. And his name is the Chewing Gum Man. And I met him once in London. His full name is Ben Wilson, and he is a local artist in London. He takes the time to make small works of art on discarded gum on the Millennium Bridge. If you don't look down as you walk across the bridge, it's the one that you see in Harry Potter in the Half-Blood Prince movie that like gets destroyed at the beginning. If you don't look down, though, as you're crossing the bridge, you may miss these little pieces of art. I had a few favorites. Some involved dining scenes, others monsters, others were dedicated to people, some were of the underground sign, all of which I found very delightful. I had the good fortune of actually seeing Wilson in action one day, with his paints, his tiny brushes, and a blowtorch of sorts. I was taking my cousins around London as they had dropped by for a visit, and my cousin, who happens to be an artist as well, got to have a chat with Mr. Wilson. We learned that he'd been in a lawsuit with the city for defacing public property, but since Wilson was only painting discarded gum and not the bridge itself, he won the suit and continues to paint gum and leave his artistic footprint on London, beautifying the unseen. Literal pieces of art that are stepped on by thousands of tourists and Londoners each day. He's been creating his art since 2004. While it can also be a problem to remove from hair and shoes to the ground or other surfaces, I do love Wilson's efforts to repurpose discarded gum as art. From keeping our chewing skills up to par, to helping us with dental hygiene, to simply making good memories of blowing bubbles with friends, chewing gum has given us a lot of good memories and loads of fresher smelling breath. And for that, I am very, very grateful. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy a marvelous day. Take care.